Good morning and welcome everybody to Bumper Sticker Faith Podcast. My name is Sam Key and I am uh, joined today by my co-host Mike Stanzik. Mike, how are you doing? Good. You know, we're getting okay sleep with okay. Uh, little Arthur. We're cheating. He's sleeping on us. So <laughs> still, <laughs> uh, but you do what you have to when you have five kids. Yeah. Well, we just had uh, our first wedding for our oldest son. Well, a first wedding of the family, <laughs> I guess for him too. <laughs> but uh, it was a great, a great weekend. Carson and Ashley got married and they're now uh, on their honeymoon, kind of putzing around the Midwest, uh, stopping and seeing some things. So our thoughts and our prayers are with them now too. But awesome. this is episode 88 on the podcast. <clears throat> Looked at that. Have you ever preached on Psalm 88 before? It's just I have not. No. It's like the darkest psalm. Yeah, it has no resolution. Yeah. You know, well, it has resolution, but it's not the uh it's not a turn of looking back on deliverance. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it, but it just as I look down at the at the double eights, I thought of Psalm 88. Um, it's so, a good thing we have that in the Psalter, though. Yeah, yeah. And our and our guest today is Chad Bird, and um, he he he's probably preached on Psalm 88. I'm sure. Have you, Chad? Preach? No, but I have written on it several times. Yeah, yeah. Lived it a few times. <laughs> yeah. And and prayed it many times. Yeah. Yeah. It is the. It's one of those psalms where uh, the first verse gives you that word of salvation and then the rest of it you're waiting for that salvation to come yeah yeah and as mike said uh, or maybe you sam uh, there's no resolution yeah it mm -hmm. just uh, kind of leaves you waiting uh, the, the church fathers referred to psalm 8 as the the crucifixion psalm mm -hmm. which i think is is so appropriate because uh there you have death and burial and you're you're waiting for the resurrection yeah <laughs> but you you had to go outside psalm 88 to, to get to that yeah, it's like Holy Saturday. We need something like that in the Psalter, though, because otherwise we would feel as though our a prayer without resolution is uh, has no place in hmm. the life of a Christian. Um, we we need one like that. Wow, I'm already yeah, learning. Sometimes we, yeah, sometimes we ask questions. Well, a lot of times the Psalms will ask questions. Where are you, God? Why is this happening? Yeah. And then you'll get the answer later in the psalm yeah but sometimes uh the answer doesn't come and yeah. that's kind of what uh, psalm 88 is it's a big question mark and yeah. you're waiting for you're waiting for the answer and that describes a lot of life uh we're waiting for the resolution to come and we know it will because we're people of hope mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. while you're waiting it's a it's a little bit difficult to to uh live in hope as you wait that coming salvation that coming resolution and the psalmist is like saying god your waves are crashing over me he, he, he keep he keeps he keeps uh calling god out <laughs> it he seems does. yeah mm -hmm. well yeah I, like i said i'm learning already uh we have like i said chad bird on the podcast today and he is the, the scholar in residence is that the official title at uh 1517 and yeah, I tried to get a scholar in Texas, but it wasn't available. So <laughs> I did. I had to go with scholar in residence. Scholar in residence. Yeah, and, that's uh, the official title. My uh, my unofficial title uh, that I have created is that uh, I'm the one who teaches the gospel with an Old Testament accent. Okay, that's, nice. that's yeah. what I what I like to like to do. 
And you have a podcast uh, with Daniel Emery Price called um, 40 Minutes in the Old Testament. And that is a a fantastic podcast. Uh, You're up to, I think, Nehemiah, Nehemiah 9. around there. Yeah, we uh yeah, we are. We uh that's probably what's been released at this moment. Just yesterday, we recorded at the beginning of Esther. Oh, wow. So uh yeah, that will come out, I don't know, a week or a week yeah. or two. So, we've uh we've transitioned to out of Nehemiah and and into Esther. My uh the the running joke is that we're uh going as slow as possible on the podcast. We've been at it for 7 or 8 years. Yeah. Uh, because it's job security. So if I, can, <laughs> if I can make it to uh, if I can make it to the end of Malachi when I'm 65. You're gonna be like, well, moment. there's if not, there's the apocrypha. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, that is that is another ongoing joke because we have 40 minutes in the Old Testament. We also have a 1517 podcast called 30 Minutes in the New Testament. Uh-huh. So I keep I keep asking when we're going to start 20 minutes in the apocrypha. <laughs> but uh, people just look at me and roll their eyes. That's awesome. <laughs> I encourage people to check that out, though. Again, it's verse by verse, slow, uh, rich through uh, the Old Testament. And That's you great. have devotional uh, a devotional book, too, that I want to recommend called Unveiling Mercy. That came out a couple years ago. And I remember I bought that as uh, Christmas presents for people at the start of the year. But uh, looking at Hebrew words uh, in the Old Testament, such as in the Psalms, and yes. uh, unpacking those in a very meaningful uh, way. So that's called Unveiling Mercy. Other books called uh, that you've written, Night Driving, Upside Down Spirituality, The Christ Key, Christ Alone, Limping with God. Is that the newest book? That is the newest book. Yeah, that one came out uh, July of last year. Okay. So, yeah. I have not so read that one. I assume it's about Jacob. It is, yeah. The subtitle is uh, uh, Jacob and the Old Testament Guide to Messy Discipleship. Because, okay. of course, Jacob's life is inherently messy, mm-hmm. as as uh, are our lives. <clears throat> so I take his entire life and break it down into small, manageable chapters and unpack that uh, and then relate it to our own life as as followers who limp mm-hmm. along uh, as we follow our Lord. That one was a lot of fun to to write because, well, I just love Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. Same. And uh, the book that I was uh, reading that I read for today's episode is um, uh, Your God is Too Glorious, which I'm sure is uh, is very similar, not relatable to uh, limping with God as well. Uh, yeah. But but that's what I want to talk about these these themes that you're touching on and bringing out that you see are uh, important for the church and for believers today. Um, about um, well, your God is too glorious, <laughs> and the and the subtitle is finding God in the most unexpected uh, places. So so. What place uh, does this kind of book have uh, in the church today? Like, like, why did you re- why did you write it? Why do you feel the need to to keep pointing people in this direction? I think that uh, all of us are born with an inherent tendency to look for God, uh, and not just look for God, but look for what kind of God there is, and the grand, and the powerful and the awesome, and the mountaintop experiences, mm-hmm. and these places where we would anticipate God to be, God to be at work. And I'm not saying he's not, but 
when we really want to know who God is and how God is active in our lives, we have to turn our eyes away from those things uh, in order to really see the way that God likes to work because God is the kind of God who hides himself under his opposite. So very frequently, we're looking for God in these awesome emotional mountaintop experiences, mm -hmm. and we miss him in the mundane, the ordinary, the day-to-day, -day. and not just that, but we miss him also in those things which we consider to be kind of beneath God. Mm -hmm. They're not spiritual enough, or mm -hmm. they're just kind of messy, or they're too simple, whatever whatever it might be. So we, uh, we're on our way to you know, this spiritual hike to have a mountaintop experience with God. And, mm -hmm. and all the while we're hiking, we're blind to the fact that to our left and to our right, God is at work, present in these simple, ordinary, daily kinds of, of things. Mm -hmm. uh, I, can, I, I can say more. Let me, let me say this. Uh, the ultimate, ultimate lens by which we understand how God is at work is in Christ himself. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the life of Jesus, if you look at what he did, what he suffered, then what you're seeing is the revelation of how God likes to work in our lives. Mm -hmm. So if you were to look at Jesus, what do you see? He's not, he's, <laughs> despite all the pictures, he's not, he doesn't have a, a halo. He's, he's not glowing. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he looks like an ordinary guy. He's an ordinary first century Jew. And yet there is the, the embodiment of God the fullness of God dwelt in him bodily. Hmm. And then, of course, you, you go all the way to his crucifixion, and no one, no one who would have been there looking at Jesus being crucified would have said to their, their neighbor who was there with them, hey, look, there's the glory of God revealed. Hmm. This is God showing us his very heart in this bloody, condemned, dying, bleeding man. And yet that's, that's the truth. Yeah. So the way I like to put it is this, if you want to see God at work, then you have to pluck out your eyeballs and put them in your ears. Yeah. So you have to see through your ears. What I mean by that is you got to listen to what God says mm. he's doing and where he's doing it, how he's doing it. And when you do that, you're seeing through your ears, you're actually, you're, you're, you're visually able to understand where God is and how he's at work not by what your eyes see, because your eyes, you, you know, we have two liars embedded in our face. Our eyes are always lying to us. But our ears, if they're tuned into the frequency of God's word, then we're actually able to hear and thus to see where God is actually revealing himself. And it might not look very godlike, but actually that's the way that God likes to, likes to work. And that's why so much of life is by faith. Go ahead. I... I I really appreciate that. And I, um, I think what you do in your God is, is too glorious is invaluable in that respect. Um, you know, you, you made mention, and I think in the introduction of the first chapter of, uh, Brennan Manning's mentor, in some ways the book feels like a, a fitting successor to the ragamuffin gospel. Um, and in some ways, uh, maybe, you, you know, it's a, the ragamuffin gospel is beating a, a slightly different drum, but it's, um, it's welcoming you to see a very similar thing. It reminds me of um, uh, a New Testament scholar named Steve Bryan. Um, he has, you know, the way that he puts it is that um, on the cross of Christ, you know, if the, if the glory of God is the manifestation of God as he is, you know, 
where does John say you see that? Where where do you see God displaying what it means to be God? And it's actually in the death of Christ. And this gets you know expanded on theologically, where you know the Trinity. Uh, what is the Trinity? It's it's God giving all in love to the Son, who returns all in love to the Father. And so when God displays what it is to be God, what is it? It's Jesus giving all in love on the cross. Um, and uh, and yet that's absolutely not what we consider glory. You know, um, we, we want unimpeachable displays of power. You know, um, instead, uh, like Jesus's true coronation was was with the crown of thorns. Um, that's the moment where he he is, in fact, becoming king. Yeah. What's that? What's the Old Testament story about uh, uh, them waiting to hear from God? I don't know if it was with Elijah or Elisha, but um, God wasn't in like the earthquake or the tornado, but he was the, the still small voice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's Elijah. He's a, that's the side of Elijah we usually don't think about. Elijah is typically presented as this very strong, brave, courageous character, you know. And he's the, the big miracle guy. Like oh, a big miracle guy. Yeah, yeah sure. Elijah and, and then, of course, Elisha. They're, they're yeah. the miracle workers of the Old Testament. Yeah. But as soon as as soon as soon he takes out the prophets of Baal, he hears that uh, uh, Queen Jezebel is out for blood. So he uh, he tucks tail and runs <laughs> a long way, <laughs> all, all the way down to, to Mount Sinai. And it's there. Yeah, you have the uh, the pyrotechnics, divine pyrotechnics. You know, you got the wind, you got the earthquake, you got the fire, you got all these things in which we would expect God to be present. And yet it's in the, uh, in Hebrew, the, the kol de mamadaka, the, the, the still small voice as the King James translates it, very thin, tiny voice that, that he hears. And it's, it's there that God speaks, calls him out and then addresses, addresses him. So we're used to, uh, used to God, you know, used to looking for God in, in kind of the shout and God comes along in the whisper. We're looking for him in the big, and he comes along in the in the small. We're looking him, looking for him in what we think is glorious, and yet that glory is often cloaked under suffering, and and death, and and smallness, all of these things that we by nature walk right past when we're looking for some kind of encounter with God. Could you? I'm wondering if there's a way to um, to make this very practical for how. So, so we're talking about this way in which God displays his glory um, in unlikely places, at least to our eyes, but that, that God rejoices to, to display his glory through weakness, through this and that. Um, how, how can we make this more practical for folks as they seek God? Uh, as they just practice their personal piety? Maybe you can give some examples from your own life or or even just general examples you can think of, of, of how this might, uh, distill down into, into the life of a believer. Yeah. So I was, I was raised in a tradition where, uh, Southern Baptist is how I was raised. I'm Lutheran now, but I raised a Southern Baptist. And one of the, one of our go-to songs was count your blessings, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. And I used to think, oh, that's pretty easy. Well, you just look for all the great things in life and those are the blessings. <laughs> And I, I, I mm -hmm. think that's typically how we work. So we think if uh, if my marriage is going well, if my kids are my healthy, my my job is secure, 
everything is going really well in my life. My life is full of blessings. And, and it is. I'm, not, I'm not, not discounting that. And we also tend to think that we're really close to God during those times. You know, God is obviously happy with us. Uh, he's given us all of these blessings. Now, what, what then happens is when things fall apart, you know, we have marriage troubles or something happens to one of our kids or we lose our job or whatever the situation might be. We are working with a uh, an assumption that when those bad things become, begin to happen, that we must be drifting away from God, that he's not active in our life, that he's turned his back on us, that uh, this is a time of spiritual poverty for us. And the exact opposite is ordinarily, ordinarily true. Those times can be also times in which we count our blessings. It's just that our blessings are camouflaged beneath suffering and, and loss and, and pain. So thinking back to my own life, I'll, I'll tell you about two incidents. Uh, when I'm 53 now, when I was in my mid-30s, I blew up my life, uh, lost everything, lost marriage, reputation, uh, career, job, everything, and went from being a seminary professor to a truck driver. And in that, those years of being a truck driver, uh, I was on the night shift a lot, and I would carry a copy of the Psalms with me. And this is in the oil field in Texas, and I got stuck all the time on those, uh, those, those roads. And one night I was, I was in the, the truck cab, middle of the night, cloaked in darkness, and I turned the light on and started to, to pray the Psalms as I waited uh, to get pulled out from where I was stuck. Now, my life was in shambles. And as I began to pray the words of those Psalms, I realized for the first time that I wasn't praying them alone, that Christ was right there with me praying these words. Mm. Now that for me was a moment in which I realized I was with God and God was with me, even though all the outward circumstances in my life testified to the contrary. Mm. So in the midst of loss and pain and suffering and confusion and chaos, a lot of things going on in my life, I also realized that God was emptying me. He was he was pulling the plug out at the bottom of my soul to drain it. Mm. So there was less of me and more room for him. Mm. So I, I, I could count my blessings, even though it seemed like I was surrounded by curses. Mm. That was years ago, uh, take you to, to last year, mm. uh, in the middle of the year, in fact, just days before that book we were talking about, Limping with God, was released, uh, my 21-year-old son, Luke, who was a student at the Naval Academy, uh, had been studying abroad in Chile, was on a hike. He was near a waterfall, slipped, fell to his death. And any parent, mm. you, know, you know, that's your worst fear, to lose, mm -hmm. lose one of your kids. Mm. Well, my, my life just, you know, uh, <laughs> gave out underneath me, you know, uh, literally fell to the ground uh, and entered into a very long, which is of course ongoing, it's only been a little over a year, yeah. Uh, yeah. very long, painful, dark, dark time. Um, it's pretty hard to count your blessings when things like that happen. And yet, even now, you know, 13 months later, looking back over that time, I also see God's blessings in my life. I'm not mm -hmm. saying it was a blessing to, to lose mm -hmm. my son, but in that chasm in my life, God showed up with under the guise of uh, church members and family and friends and total strangers mm -hmm. to speak words of light and hope to me during that time. 
And he also used that to remind me once more that life isn't about me. Life isn't about accomplishments or all these glorious things, but it's rather about being conformed to the image of, of Jesus. Mm. So it's a, a, a very painful time, very dark time. But, and yet in that, I see God at work. Mm. Now, those are two extreme examples, but I think you can take those and you can apply those to, to your own life and see that just because things are bad, just because things are painful, just because you're, you're wondering how you're going to get through today, much less tomorrow, that doesn't mean that God has thrown you away and that he's no longer with you. It just means that you're in a situation now where you can begin to realize with greater clarity that your strength has never been your strength. Your strength mm -hmm. has always been that of Christ. And mm -hmm. that when you're weak, and when you are reduced down to what feels like nothing, then you're actually the perfect material that God can work with because as he created everything from nothing, so he continues to be active in our lives when there's less of us and more room for, for him. Thank you so much for for sharing what, what happened this last year. I'm so sorry for your loss. That's Thank you. a horrendous thing to, to go through. It, it, when someone's in the middle of... of pain like that or even just dissatisfaction with where they're living or maybe they feel like they're uh incompetent you know that the that the plates they're supposed to keep spinning at, at work and and home the plates are falling off you know and um how does uh so they come to that realization you know that hey i'm, I'm in a desperate place of weakness um and maybe they even come to a realization that God could be working here. Um, how do they take part? You know, and and I'm uh, I'm totally comfortable with, with it if you say well, that's really the wrong question to ask. But um, I imagine that some people will be asking that question inwardly, like, "Well, what do I do though?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like, how do I take right. part in it so yeah. that so that I can be a part of what God is doing, or or is this? Are, are we imagine? I guess what I'm trying to ask: Are we imagining a fully passive thing? Well, how do we take part? Hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would urge two things, and both of these are, I guess, you could say, active as well as as well as passive. So, uh, you 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 could say you're you're active, and yet, of course, who's being active in you? Well, yeah. The spirit is pushing you in this yeah. in this direction. Uh, what I found to be extremely helpful in in both. From, from, in, in two different ways, in all these situations, whether it's a major loss or a minor loss, is first of all to immerse yourself in what I consider to be the best prayers there are. And that is what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode in the Psalms. Because what frequently happens when you endure either a major or minor loss is you don't know how to speak to God about it. Yeah. You, you lose your language. Um, uh, in fact, I found it, I have found it very hard this past year to pray extemporaneously mm -hmm. because I, I just struggle with for the words. But what the Psalms do is not only give me the words to pray, but these words actually come from God. Mm -hmm. And then I speak them back to God. Yep. So it's the it's the language of suffering that's embedded within the Psalms. Mm -hmm. And then these become the way by which, whether it's trouble at work, whether it's trouble at home, whether it's health issues, we can actually translate our needs and our emotions into these prayers, which we offer to, to our Lord. 
And in that way, keep up the communication between him and us. I mean, he's actually communicating to us even as we pray, because we're praying these psalms he's first given to us. That's great. So that's an active thing that we can do. And at the same time, we're passively receiving what God has to say to us. Secondly, and uh, I would argue much more importantly, make sure that you have placed yourself into a situation, uh, into ideally into a church, mm-hmm. where you are going to be fed with the good news of Christ. Because uh, there's plenty of bad news in this world and in those times of suffering and and stress and chaos and everything else that life throws our way that's bad news. We we have to have the good news. We have to hear on an ongoing basis about the God who will stick by us through thick and thin. Mm. In fact, who has actually, on his own initiative, because of love for us, come down from heaven, become one of us, lived among us, suffered, died, and then rose again precisely in order to give us life and hope and and salvation. And we can't hear that enough because this is the way that God pours out his love into our hearts by the work of the Spirit. So praying the Psalms, hearing the gospel, both of those I think are just uh, absolutely necessary when you're going through these valleys in in life. Well, not just then, but at at all times, but certainly during the times when when you're suffering. That's great. But where uh, eight years ago, I ruined my life as well, (laughs) Uh, big time. And throughout that process, like I couldn't shake this idea, (laughs) like when things would get worse and worse and worse, I couldn't shake the idea, wow, uh, God knew that I needed strong medicine. (laughs) Mm, Yes. And like the harder things got, uh, for me, I would, I would just realize that like, I, like, wow, God, I was, my ego was so big. (laughs) I was so prideful. I was so out of touch. I was so harmful that you knew that the, the caliber, the strength of the medicine that I needed to, in order to, to humble me, to weaken that ego and that pride. And framed like that, doesn't make it easier, but, but I, I, and, and, and maybe that's a a key that, um, that, that could help people. I know Mike beforehand, we were talking about this, but I think that like, there's a couple different kinds of people out there. Some people need this strong medicine and, and they, and like, and, and that would be me where like my, um, again, my ego and my pride and my self identity are so wrapped up in the books I write, the ministry that I do, that um, I need to find God in the dirt <laughs> and in the common things and working at a grocery store. You know, 
and and I, that's where I need to find God. I, and there's probably other kinds of people out there that maybe their lives are already low, and and then maybe God's you know task is to help raise them up uh, and maybe find Him in other places as well. I don't know. It could it could just be like a certain kind of person that this message could really resonate with. I'm I'm thinking in particular of 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 leaders, ministry leaders who maybe mm. are putting all their identity, whether they would admit it or realize it or not. Um, uh, because I'm just doing good for God. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, really? God's like, I, I don't need you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's what, that's, uh, that's why the, the work of ministry or any kind of church work is, uh, is slightly dangerous mm. because we, uh, we tend to think we'll, uh, we tend to justify our actions because they're saying, well, we're doing this for God, mm-hmm. you know? right. uh, and all the time, not realizing, as you say, that our, our identities, our purpose mm-hmm. is entirely wrapped up in what, what we're doing. And as I discovered as, as a much younger man, when you lose all that, mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, if you were to ask me in my mid thirties, who are you, Chad? I'd say, well, <laughs> let me tell you who I am. <laughs> yeah. I do this and I, yeah. I have this position and, and this and this and this, and then maybe down the road, down, down the list, I'd say, Oh yeah, I'm also, I'm married and a father. Hmm. Uh, you know, it was, it was all wrapped up in the, the me, me, me stuff. And so my, like, like you, my, my head got so big with pride that uh, I fell face first in the dirt, which is exactly where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks be to God for that, uh, that strong medicine that mm-hmm. I, that I went through back then. But yeah, and I in in the, in the aftermath, that I, I began to realize God began to 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 show me that, that listen, you didn't lose your identity, you lost your your you lost these self created identities. Mm-hmm. Your identity has has always been secure. It's in Christ. Mm-hmm. I, you, you've died, and your life is no longer your own. It's it's hidden with Christ and God. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you, and you, that's your identity. And then all these other things are peripheral. They're the vocations that God has placed in your life. So that was that was extremely helpful for me, uh, painful though it was to to get there, to know that who am I? Uh, many people have said this, uh, maybe it was Thomas Merton, you know, who am I? Well, I'm one loved by by Jesus. I'm mm-hmm. one loved by God. I'm I'm the beloved of God. That's who my that's what my identity is. And because of that, I'm I'm secure in in Christ. Mm-hmm. And if I lose other things, uh, like my son, or if I lose my job or whatever happens to me, that in no way diminishes who I am in Christ because it in no way diminishes who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. And I love the, um, the place that you gave to family in, in your God is too glorious that in some ways it, it seems like, um, the 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 parts of our life that actually does say something about our identity they're always covenantal mm. you know um there's the the ultimate divine covenant that we take part in the new covenant with Christ and then there's the the givens of our lives that take place when we enter into a marriage covenant or into um the the tending to the lives that issue out of that marriage covenant, you know, that these are, um, these are way more central. And yet, uh, those are so often the things that we forget most, you know, or our, our duties to parents, to our own parents, 
you know, to tend for them as they age and these different things, you know, these are the things that are utterly unglamorous. Um, our families are reliably the people that we're rudest to. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, um, and yet uh, it's it's in the dispatching of those natural duties that, that we actually do discover who we are, you know. Um, so I appreciate the role that you gave to family. Yeah, you know, we, uh, uh, you, 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 you nailed it when you said, you know, it's not, it's not glamorous, you know, mm -hmm. I hear, you hear about trophy wives sometimes, but never trophy husbands, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. We, I'm, you know, nobody gets a, nobody gets a trophy for being a, a husband or, or a dad, uh, or taking care of your parents. You know, there's, there's no, uh, no, no crown of gold that someone's going to put on your head. Uh, oh, what a great job you've done. And yet that is, that's where God is at work through us to, uh, to care for those who are around us. And that, that is really where we're passing on our, our greatest legacy. It's not in what we accomplish, but rather it's in those that we serve. Yeah. And that's really what love is. I mean, love isn't, you know, me getting a degree. Love isn't me doing this or that. Uh, it's love is me pouring myself out yes. into my kids and into my, my wife and into my, my parents uh, which is foundational to human existence. You know, all this other stuff is secondary, but primary is how God is inhabiting our vocation, our callings, in order to be active through our hands and feet and mouths and all the things we do to care for those who are around us. Mm -hmm. That's really the the altar where we are offering ourselves as living sacrifices on the, on mm -hmm. behalf of others. I remember I went out, it was five o'clock in the morning, one shift morning, and I was emptying out this disgusting uh, compost bin and uh, just cleaning it out. And uh, I was listening to uh, an audio uh, Bible and it was up to Ecclesiastes. Um, and Such an encouraging book. Yeah, my, my favorite <laughs> one. And it, I forget which chapter, maybe six, but... Um, um, it was talking about the, the stillborn child. Um, um, oh, it was, you, you could be like a, a, a king and have all these sons and all this wealth, but if um, you don't know, know how to find joy in, in your life and in your work, then a stillborn child is better than you. Hmm. And I'm like... It's a nice and, slap and, and, Yeah, and yeah. the thought hit me that I just felt God lightning bolted into my into my ears where he um, said, right now, Sam, right now is your chance. Right now, you could have the best day ever that you've ever had before, because that's what I'm capable of doing right now. If you can't figure out how to have the best day of your life right now, then a stillborn child is better off than you are because you don't need the power, the position, the riches, the lineage that it, that Ecclesiastes was describing with this king. You just need me in your in the enjoyment of your work. I'm like, okay, I'll try. <laughs> but but that is one of the lessons that I've I've been trying that God has been trying to teach me. Like, yeah, right where you're at, no matter if you have have anything that you're grasping for. I mean, that was the original sin in the garden that Adam and Eve were grasping for something higher than them, you know, too, too much for them. And th th they weren't content and satisfied. And uh, I can get pretty grasping after things, thinking that those are the things that uh, will bring me the, the joy and the blessing 
but it's in the emptying of the compost bins and uh, in in the in family, like you said, that's where that's where I, we need to be able to feel our blessing, God's blessing and closeness to us. And if we can't do that, then yeah, 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 I agree one hundred percent. That's why stuck me in a truck cab all those years. Yeah, strong medicine. <laughs> Thir- yeah, thirteen years. And I'm I'm wondering about like the title. I know. Um, um, editors and whatnot, publishers <laughs> ultimately pick titles, but um, your God is too glorious. Would you say that the way you're defining, because obviously God is glorious and God is way too glorious, more, yes. more than we could ever even imagine or fathom. Like that's a hundred percent true. Uh, but to say that like your God is too glorious, you're, you're kind of, re- are you referring to this idea maybe that draws upon what Luther was saying that there's this kind of glory that is like self-righteousness glory where the theologian, of the glory is the one who, who puts their trust in their own works uh, rather than in the humility and the humble things like, like the cross, the theolo- like the theologian of the cross does. Is that kind of what's behind uh, that, that title? Yeah, that's uh, definitely what's behind that title. So to be a theologian of the cross as opposed to being a theologian of glory to be a th- theologian of the cross is look for God in that, which we deem to be below him, beneath him, uh, like the crucifixion of Jesus or as a theologian of glory is always looking for God in all the wrong places because look, you're looking for him in the glorious, in the magnificent, mm-hmm. in the awesome and thinking, Oh, this is really where I'm going to get to know God. No, you're not. Uh, you you might get to know a, a great, big, powerful God, and that will do you no good mm-hmm. unless you know this God in Christ. And to know God in Christ is to know the God who reveals himself in the cross. So it's a it's it's a it's a huge shift in understanding, not just the scriptures, but also in understanding how God is at work in our lives. Because if we're theologians of glory, then we're always going to be counting our good works. Mm-hmm. We're going to be counting all the great things that have happened to us. We're going to be counting all these awesome experiences that we've had. And that's going to be the means by which we interpret who God is and how we are connected to him. Uh, well, that, that might sound great, but uh, first of all, that's not how God has revealed himself. And secondly, that's not how life works. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is uh, this is the problem of especially the kind of the you know health and wealth, the mm-hmm. uh, preachers of the day, because... You know, they basically say, well, if you do this, if you if you do that, then everything's going to be fine. And if if all of a sudden you're suffering, if you're sick, if these bad things are happening to you, well, then it's your fault. And you've got to work toward this grasp of the glorious God again. The theologian of glory comes along, theologian of the cross comes along and says, no, no, if, if you want to know, first of all, if you want to know who God is, you don't look any further than Jesus. Hmm because he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And if you want to know who Jesus is, you can't look at him apart from the cross. You can't look at him apart from suffering and death and burial in this seemingly ungodly sort of uh, revelation of of who he is. Then that impacts how we understand our own lives as well. So it's, it's not about what we can accomplish. It's not about how wonderful everything is, but rather it's all about who we are, who we are in Christ. So the title itself is, yeah, playing off the the sharp contrast between the theology of the cross and the theology of, of glory. To me, a- um, 
chapter nine was uh, called Life in the Blood. That was like a key chapter uh, for me. And there's a couple things I'll, I'll, I'll read here with your publisher's permission <laughs> um, <laughs> to key off to key off on. Um, you say, as it turns out, much um, the body of modern Christianity is by and large anemic. We sing and speak of power and glory, but not so much the blood of the Lamb. Where we are, we have a marked tendency towards spiritualizing and emotionalizing everything, as if we're, we've forgotten that a beating, the beating heart of our faith is an actual beating heart. As Eugene Peterson writes, "Matter is real, flesh is good. Without a fir, without a firm rooting in creation, religion is always drifting off into some kind of sentimentalism." or sophisticated intellectualism. Mm -hmm. The word did not become a good idea or a numinous feeling or a moral aspiration. The word became flesh. End mm -hmm. of quote. And then you add blood and bones and skin are the very stuff of our salvation. Mm -hmm. That is such a, a key idea for me. You know, I think one of the reasons I ended up going that, that direction uh, early on as a theologian is because I was influenced by the second century church father Irenaeus. Yes, and uh, the main the main theological uh, heresy that he had to, uh, to to address, which was prevalent everywhere, is what today we would refer to as kind of the the many facets of New Ageism. You know, which you know keeps reinventing yeah. itself. But in his day, it was Gnosticism, and in Gnosticism, the the key tenet is that you uh, that all of creation is the work of the lesser deity. Mm. And so there's a ten tendency to hyper-spiritualize everything. And Gnosticism is alive and well in America today, you know, where the, the, the super spiritual kind of stuff in which we relegate creaturely things to a subordinate position. Mm. And the incarnation comes along and destroys all that because the incarnation of, of the Son of God is like, no, no, flesh and blood is where our salvation is. Mm -hmm. Christ's own flesh and blood. And what did he do? Well, he healed a man by like, you know, putting spit on him mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he, he actually fed people and he physically rose from the dead and he gives us a meal. He gives mm -hmm. us the, the Lord's Supper. He uses the water of baptism. He loves creation. He, he made it after all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so God roots himself in the stuff of creation, which is great because we're creatures. You know, we're not souls trapped inside bodies, as you'll you'll often hear today in kind of Gnosticizing kind of speech. Now we are we are body and blood creatures, body, blood, bones creatures. And because of that, God the Creator becomes one of us in the incarnation so that he might give us what we need through the very, very things of creation, including uh blood the blood that he that he spilled on the cross for us yeah and you make a, a big deal out of out of the fact that it is blood it's a it's a real it's a real substance that god that god uses uh, i appreciated that and i want people to look for that as 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 they read the book um, well, if I, if I can throw in a quick yeah. steve bryanism again so that scholar i mentioned earlier steve bryan the new testament scholar he well at the moment he's on sabbatical um but he's one of the elders at our church um you know the the mention of the blood you know uh, the blood and water spilling from jesus's side you know is a powerful image because you know we we want to separate the concrete facts of how our lives play out or how the life of christ 
plays out from the spiritual. You know, those spiritual things are these higher things. Well, you know, a lot, what uh, what Steve would point out and other scholars is that when the, the blood and water spill from Jesus' side, I mean, the significance of that is that it's uh, it's meant to hearken us back to the vision of Ezekiel of the flood spilling out of the temple. You know, John has this strong temple theology. Jesus is the temple. Listen, guys, he's the temple. And which so we should anticipate that the spirit is going to explode from Christ. And then when does the spirit do it? It does it with blood, with mm -hmm. the 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 heart emptying itself out from the spear wound and water comes with it because the spirit has been released through the through the blood of Christ. Which works perfectly uh, with the entire biblical witness because the spirit is often spoken of in connection with water or the pouring out of the mm -hmm. spirit or the, the in in Isaiah I can't quote the chapter but Isaiah pairs together in parallelism parallelism the idea of the the parched land receiving mm. water and also then the spirit being given so the spirit and water are wed together throughout throughout the scriptures well already in Genesis one two where do you see the spirit of God he's hovering over the face of the waters mm. so the spirit is wet throughout the scriptures and then that perfectly conforms to what you were just describing now i think people... you're gonna make me believe in baptismal regeneration <laughs> I don't know, think about this yeah, okay i have to have a follow-up conversation yeah. about lutheranism <laughs> episode eight, episode 89 yeah <laughs> okay to, to no pun intended but to flesh this out a little bit here um <laughs> It's it's one thing to make those connections in the Bible about Ezekiel and the temple and the, the cross and all that. And we just, okay, God happened to use those things. But are you saying that there's another way to for me to look at my world right now as soon as I walk out my door? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, I think part of the problems we have, part of the problem we have today is we're in a, uh, of course, a very scientific era of history. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to think of, we don't really think of creation uh, in, in those terms. You know, we think of whatever you want to, to describe it, but we don't think of these are created elements. So when you walk outside, the created sun is shining down upon you. Mm -hmm. When you get up in the morning, you drink created water. You yourself are a creature. You're walking on the ground. So if you, if you look all around you and you begin to pay attention, then you're able actually to, to understand just your day-to-day -day reality in a, in a very different sort of way because when you when you view the sun you're not thinking of just you know this this uh, atoms and ball. molecules yeah 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 i mean this is what god has created put in the sky to shine down upon you to cause the grass to grow to warm you up and also then how that is connected metaphorically with christ the son of righteousness who mm -hmm. has healing in his wings and then you could just go on you can think about water it's a created element and God uses it to to cleanse us, mm -hmm. to to quench our thirst, but also to baptize us. Mm -hmm. You go on and on, but all these elements of creation, and pretty soon, if you begin, you can see your world through new eyes, mm -hmm. because now you're viewing the world with a very biblical lens. Not just a, I mean, nothing wrong with the scientific perspective, mm -hmm. but the biblical perspective, all of a sudden, opens up all of creation as a gift, mm -hmm. and at the same time, iconic of how God is at work in our lives to give us Jesus and to pull us closer to, to himself. So yeah, this, I think in that way, it, it, yeah, there's, there's daily lessons. Theology is all around us. Yeah. We have the eyes to see it. The, the scientific way maybe to walk outside and say to the dirt, to the sun, what is this? 
But the, the biblical way would be to say, why is this? What does this mean? Mm. What, what is the meaning behind this dirt, this water? Um, and, and we can we can learn to answer and see that like sooner rather than later would be good um, to save us from um, pure, pure materialism. Mike, did you have a thought about that? Well, actually I was, before we run out of time, I wanted to um, shift gears just slightly to try to to draw out another practical um, implication of, of the book. Um, So when we, are identifying so tightly with our, are we looking for God in our weakness? Maybe not identifying with our weakness, but looking for God in, in our weakness. And when we recognize that there is sort of a priority given to the mundane and to the, um, you know, to these particularly weak seasons, I can imagine certain readers of the book walking away sort of feeling like, okay, what, what, what's the role for competence in life? you know, or what's the role of aspiration? Mm-hmm. You know, because we, we have the book of Proverbs, which celebrates competence. We have the um, the examples of, of Job and, and Noah and, um, and others that have um, a, a pious life. You know, they're, they're aspiring toward God and they're, they're putting work into their, into the exercise of their faith, um, these sorts of things. So, um, what where do the where does all of that fit into this schema so that we're we're sort of avoiding the Scylla and Charybdis on either side of um of the dilemma yeah yeah great uh, great question great follow-up to everything we've been talking about I like to distinguish between ambition and aspiration or ambition and um a good work ethic call it what you want historically ambition has been understood to be a, a vice not a virtue because ambition is all about what I can do, what I can accomplish for me. It's a very egocentric way of understanding what life is all about. And I know it very well. I mean, it's my autobiography, uh, my early life. That was, I think it I comes from the Latin ambitio, which means like to count votes, like uh, yes, political yes, getting yes. votes for yourself. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I was all about vote getting when I was a much, much yeah. younger man. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Uh, in the uh, the aftermath of the implosion of my life, I, I began to understand that drive a little bit differently, and that's aspiration. It's it's great to work hard. It's great to plan. It's great to aspire to to do things faithfully and excellently, in order that we might better serve our neighbor. And that's really where the difference comes in. That's good. Ambition is all about me. It's an egocentric life. Uh, a- aspiration or hard work is all is is an other directed life. And that then dovetails perfectly with, with what our callings or our vocations are all about. It's not about me doing things for me, but instead it's how can I be the best father I can be in order that I can not earn some sort of trophy, but rather I can serve my, my children. Mm-hmm. How can I be the best husband I can be in order that I can serve my wife? Mm-hmm. How can I be the best, in my case, teacher or writer in order that I can serve those that are reading my material, listening to me? So you don't want, I mean, laziness, of course, is condemned throughout the scriptures. Uh, and laziness ultimately is another egocentric life. It's just all about me. <laughs> I want to take care of myself. I just want to be, you know, lazy for the sake of me. But the uh, the drive, the hard work is geared toward living the kind of life in which I can best serve those who are around me in, in love. And 
cognizant of the fact that as I do this, it's, it's, it's all gift because God has given me the body by which I can serve. He's given me the mind by which I can think. He's given me everything that I have, not in order that I might look in the mirror and say, oh, how great I am, but I can look at my neighbor and say, how can I love and serve you? Then maybe what, one other um, related question, um, you know, hopefully no reader would walk away with this impression, but just in case, you know, part of the, the what you include in the book is your own story of how God met you through the results of your own sins and through this and that. And he, he absolutely does that in all of our lives. Um, so should we continue in sin that grace may abound? <laughs> yeah. As, as, as Paul would say in Greek, meganoito. <laughs> may, <laughs> may it never be. By no means. <laughs> may, it never, may it never be. May it never be. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, I, because Paul says that, you know, that even in the first century, there were people saying, so misunderstanding him. So we're what? We're supposed to just go out and sin a lot so that God will have a lot to forgive. <laughs> no. No, uh, you uh, you strive with all your might to live a, a life of obedience and, and holiness in, in the fear of the Lord. And know that when you do fall on your face, when you do mess up, which will happen all the time yep. because we're, uh, we're sinners. Yes. Know that there stands Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all of you who are soiled by sin, and I'll clean you up uh, mm. because my righteousness is sufficient for, for you. He is the friend of sinners after all. Mm -hmm. that's right yeah all right we'll come to uh come to a close now uh chad so uh so grateful that you were able to come on today and share with us and uh what's a good place uh for people to go to learn more about what you're doing i know you do like daily instagram uh videos right now uh any any other places where they can find you yeah, for better or worse, I'm on all the social media apps. <laughs> uh, uh, for better in the sense of, well, that's where a lot of people are. And so uh, that's where I put a lot of my material mm -hmm. out there. I'm doing, I am doing daily videos where I post that I post on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. And they're and like YouTube. a minute long uh, and very rich yeah. and deep. Uh, on yeah I, I kind of keep them uh 60 to 90 seconds yeah. uh dealing with the chapter that uh that we're reading that day if, to this bible reading plan that i'm following uh but yeah i'm uh i'm, I'm there if uh, my a lot of my my if you want to find out more about my podcast and whatnot or my books just go to 1517.org and that's kind of the hub of all of our of all of our resources so yeah, check me out on the socials uh go to 1517.org and everything's everything's there whatever you're looking for Thanks, everyone, for joining us today for episode 88. Uh, what did the zero say to the eight? Do you know, Mike? He said, nice belt. <laughs> <laughs> there's a dad joke to wrap up the yeah, episode. Right. <laughs> uh, you can learn more about us at BumperStickerFaith.com uh, if you have any uh, questions, uh, anything like that. Um, go figure out how to support us on Patreon uh, through the menu tab. You can become a part of the BS crew and support us that way. Um, next week, we'll have another good guest on. Until then, uh, don't go stepping in no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks, everyone.